Just speak to God. Tell God how great He is. Tell Him what you think of Him. Come on, just let words come out of your mouth tonight. For He is great and He is mighty. His name is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that He is Lord to the glory of God in heaven, in earth, and under the earth. And we declare you, Jesus, you are great. Oh, God, you are mighty. Oh, God, you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and might and dominion. Father, we thank you, God. We praise you, God. Lord, bless this night. I pray, Father, that you would give revelation to this church. I pray, Father, that you would, by the Holy Ghost, give the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. I pray, Father, that we might know by our inner man the indwelling of Jesus in our hearts and that love of God that knows no limit. Father, give us that. Father, according to your scriptures, it is the prayer of the apostle for saints. And Lord, we pray that tonight for us, for this church for our personal lives, God, that none of us would think we've arrived, that none of us would think that we know it all, that we understand it all, or that we grasp it all. But we say to you, Lord, we want to know you like Paul did in Philippians 3. We want to know you. We want to pursue you, God. We want reality with you. And I pray, Father, that you would grant that to us tonight. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. I, I want to read tonight out of Exodus 33. And if you will, follow me in, in the Bible tonight. Because there's some things I want to show you that I believe are extremely important. And I'm not going to have time to read everything that I desire to read tonight or take you through these things. Um, I am going to share with you what I've literally been preaching for about two years in our church in different ways and condense this in about three messages. And what I'm going to share with you tonight has come out of life. It really has. It has come out of just things with the Lord. And you, and you can be seated. I appreciate y'all standing, but I'm not sure where I'm going to start yet. So, um, But I know we're going to get to Exodus 33 soon. But I wanted to say that this is something that God has used to save my life. And I'm giving this to I'm going to give my life to you over the next today and through Sunday. I'm going to share things with you that have been very painful for me, but what God has done for me. And I'm not telling you something that works. This is not some gimmick. This is the truth of God's word, and I'm going to take you through it. And if you as a Christian will believe it, I'm not asking you to fully understand it. I'm asking you to believe it. And belief will act upon God's word. Now, I'm telling you to believe it because I believe there's many of you here that would exercise it. But God's not interested in the exercise. God is interested in the heart. And constantly in the Old Testament, the people of God were drawn near to the Lord, but their hearts were far from God. And therefore, we have to be a people of faith. And we do things because we believe He exists and we believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I'm asking you to be a people of faith. I'm asking you to be believers 
in the things that I believe God wants to speak to you over this weekend. And Sunday night, I believe it's going to be concluded with an incredible message that is just absolutely profound by Christy. It's just going to be really wonderful. It has just brought such revelation to people. And so these messages go very well together. And so I want to put something in your spirit, and it's from the Word of God, and I am going to go here before I go to Exodus 33, and I want you to listen to this. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms which were the songs of Israel. And so this is the picture that I want you to have in your mind when it says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. That word in the Hebrew, thanksgiving, means a choir of worshipers confessing gratitude to God. I want you to picture that because this is what God is asking for. He is asking for a choir of worshipers. Now, it should be everybody that's born again. But we're not naive enough to think everybody's going to do it. They will eventually, but to just do it right off, we're not naive enough to think that. But I want to compel those of you that will to allow the Holy Spirit to bring this picture to you, this revelation to you, that we are to come before the Lord. We are to come before His presence with thanksgiving, we are to come before his presence as a choir of worshipers. This word is thanksgiving. It is expressing gratitude to God. It is something you speak and also things you sing. So I want you to picture this, if you will. I want you to picture how typically in the church, we will start with a group of musicians up here on the stage. And let's call that the choir. It's a choir of singers, and they practice, and they rehearse, and they learn songs, and they come together as one people up here to sing the same thing, to do the same thing, to play the same thing, or it would be chaotic, wouldn't it? And it would be, it would be just obvious to everybody if they hadn't practiced. So they practice, they know what they're going to sing, they know what they're going to do that day, and they're up here as a choir, and they're leading us in song. Picture this, is if they gather up here, and the rest of you come before his presence up here, and you gather as a choir of worshipers. You gather in the front here, you have practiced your praise, and that just simply means you have practiced what to say. The Bible even tells you what to say. And you begin, as they're singing, you're in this altar standing together as a choir. You come together. And that's what a choir is. It is a called out group of people who are committed in unity to do a specific thing. And you're coming in here in unity to do a specific thing, and that is to stand before his presence and begin to declare thanksgiving to God and praise to God. I promise you it will transform your life in this church. And this is a mighty church already. But I promise you it will take you into a depth with God that he wants you to go. And this is not weird. This is just 
This is just what God asks. It's just what he wants, all right? So I want you to know this, and I'm going to talk to you about this in, in the next three meetings. But I want to say this to you tonight, that it is the presence of God that makes the difference. Nothing else is to replace God's presence in your life. But we as Christians have allowed a multitude of things to replace God's presence for us. And so I just want you to listen to this because this is the answer that you are searching for as a Christian. This is like some of you sit here tonight and you've wrestled with depression or despair or you haven't received answers to prayer that you're believing God for. You don't have promises fulfilled yet in your life that you want to see fulfilled and you're, you're, you're becoming skeptical. You have questions. You have doubts. You're wondering what God is doing. Why is life so hard? Why isn't God helping me? Why isn't God answering me? I believe with all of my heart that what God wants to speak to you this weekend will transform your life because he saved my life. I'm telling you, church, he saved my life by what he taught me. And I want to give this to you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for any other reason than to give you this. It would be selfish of me to hold this in me. And I want you to know something, that God is using your pastor. And you need to let God use your pastor. God has put things in him, and some of you don't like him leaving. Some of you don't understand him leaving. And if you refuse to let him go, and if he's not asking to go anywhere, that would be a different matter because he's not an evangelist asking, can I come preach? He's a pastor. He's got a post. But if the body of Christ says, will you come to us and you refuse to let that happen through a negative attitude, through a skepticism, through a bitterness, through a complaint, you might as well shut the doors. Because if God cannot give what he's been given to you, if he cannot give it to other people, this is, this, this is done. It is over. All right. God does not want his people to be selfish. And so you've got to let the ministry go, people. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go out. It will make this place stronger than you could ever imagine in your life if you will let it go out. But go out in wisdom and in unity and in the Spirit. That was not anything to do with the message. So in Exodus 33, um, I want to say this to you. And this is in Moses' life with God. He's leading the children of Israel. And God says to Moses, I'm not going to go with you. And you know why Israel is a rebellious and a stiff-necked people and they're full of sin. And if I go with you, I'm going to kill them in the way if, if I go with them. So Moses, I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel with you. But I'm, my presence is not going to go with you. And Moses basically says to God, if you don't go, I don't go. We're going together. And so God hears Moses, and God tells Moses, my presence will go with you. And I want you to notice this exchange that Moses has with the Lord. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 33, Moses said to the Lord, See thou sayest to me, bring, this, bring up this people, and you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. So God responds to him in verse 14, and God says to Moses, 
My presence, and I want you to notice the effect of God's presence. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence goes not with me, carry us not up from here. For wherein shall it be known here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not in that you go with us? So shall we be separated, which is holy. I and your people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And I want you to understand this. I just want to speak this to you for just a minute. And, and you can turn with me to the Psalms. And I'm going to go to Psalms 114 after I make a comment on what Moses just said with God. Now, this is preliminary, and I'm laying a foundation, all right? And I really need you to stay with me on this. So Moses has this exchange with God, and because of this exchange, we basically understand now what constitutes God's presence, what comes with God's presence. And number one, if you have the presence of God, you have rest, Number two, God's presence in your life is the declaration of His grace to you. If you don't go with us, how will anybody know that we have found grace in your sight? Is not your presence the, the declaration of your grace with me? And number three, it is your presence that brings holiness to us. It is your presence that separates us. It is your presence that makes the difference for us. And so in this exchange with God, Moses understands these three things. And I want to say that to you tonight. It is so important. God's presence is your rest. God's presence is the declaration of His grace with you. And God's presence is the means of your holiness. And there's nothing else that's going to do that. But his presence, God's presence, God's spirit with you in your life. You've got to understand this. Now, this is what's so beautiful about the presence of God and his grace. God's presence was not granted to Israel because they were holy. His presence was not granted to Israel because they were noble or they were obedient or they were good. They were bad. I mean, God's just already telling them, I'm not going with you because you're full of sin. And you're stiff-necked and you're rebellious. But that is not, having this perfect obedience to God is not what grants us His grace. And so God's presence comes to us because we're desperate for His presence, not because we've earned His presence. And we need His presence. And we recognize that we need His presence. I need the presence of God in my life. I've got to have the presence of God in my life. So I want to ask you this question. How many of you today recognized a meeting that God had engineered with you today? How many of you recognized a divine intervention of God just for time alone with you? That God made this happen. How many of you saw it? How many of you, and I'm not talking about you did your devotion, and I'm not talking about you said your prayers, and I'm not talking about you had a warm, tingly feeling. I'm talking about how many of you recognize today an encounter that God wanted to have with you and he went out of his way to provide it. Think about that. Because Christians will honestly admit, I prayed today, I spent time with God today, but I didn't really recognize that. So I want you to think about that. It's so very important for what God wants to say in our lives tonight. 
And so God says to the, to the nation of Israel, to Moses, he said, listen, I'm going to give an angel. Now, how many churches today would be content with an angel? I'm going to give you an angel who will go with you. This angel is going to do five things. This angel is going to bring you into the promise. This angel is going to assure you of a full possession of the promise. This angel is going to do supernatural works on your behalf. This angel is going to deliver you from your enemies. And this angel will be in relation with me and you. This angel is going to do these things. And I'm going to give you this angel. And I believe that if God came to Christians today or a lot of churches today and God said to the churches, I'm going to give you an angel. And this angel is going to be mighty and this angel is going to be supernatural and this angel is going to bring deliverance and this angel is going to guarantee you your promises and this angel is going to fight for you. That I believe a lot of Christians and maybe a lot of churches would say, God, that sounds wonderful. Could you imagine the evangelism that we could do? Could you imagine how the young people would be flocking to your church to see the angel? Could you imagine you go to your, hey, you got to come to our church tonight. We have an angel on the platform. No, no, I mean a real angel. This thing's like 18 feet tall. This thing is shiny. This thing is amazing. I mean, we're talking about a real angel from heaven. It's on the platform in our church. You've got to come see him. How many people would come? How many people would want that? But Moses says to God, I want you. I do not want an angel. Because if I don't have you, I'll have no rest. I'll have no holiness. And I will not have grace. And I want you, God. And I've got to have you in my life. And I wonder how much God's presence means to you tonight. And in Psalm 114, I want you to just a very, very quick thing here that I want you to see and understand. In Psalm 114, he says this. When Israel went out of Egypt, because this is the answer, right? Moses says, you go with us. And so God says, I'll go with you. And this is what happens. This is beautiful. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary. Y'all, what is Judah's name? Praise. So praise is his sanctuary. Praise is God's sanctuary. God inhabits the praises of his people. Please know that because I want you to see this in just a minute. Judah was his sanctuary. Israel was his dominion. The sea saw it and it fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams. The little hills like lambs. What ailed you, O thou sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you were driven back. You mountains that skipped like rams and you little hills like lambs. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into standing water and the flint into a fountain of waters. That's what the presence of God does. If we would have had an angel, we would have never known that. But do you see what this says? you see how marvelous this is? Judah was God's sanctuary. Praise was God's sanctuary. In Israel, the prince with God was his domain. And the mountains saw him. They, the mountains saw God. You read it. That's what it says right there in Psalm 114. The sea saw God. Enthroned in the praises of Judah and the sea fled because it saw God. Y'all, the answer to our life is God. 
The answer to our life is God's presence. We've got to have his presence. We've got to have the Lord. We've got to be desperate for God in our life. And there's nothing that can replace the presence of God for you. Nothing. The church cannot replace God's presence for you. Your counselors cannot take the place of God's presence. They're not going to comfort you as much as they try. Your ministry cannot take the place of God's presence, but ministers everywhere are in a drought of the presence of God because they've been so busy in their ministry. They have spent so little time with God, and nothing can take the place of God's presence. And I'm telling you tonight, God saved me with this. He delivered me with this. And I'm going to read Psalm 27 and Psalm 91. And those are about the two last scriptures that I think we're going to turn to tonight. But I want to share this with you and maybe give you a little bit of a testimony in this as we go through it. God saved my life through Psalm 27. He gave me a revelation and he said to me, if you can believe it, you will know it. If you can believe it, you will know it and you will enter it and you will find rest. And I'm telling you something tonight. I found rest in God. I have the rest. I have the peace. You can't hurt me. I couldn't say that a few years ago, but I can tell you, you can't hurt me anymore. People in my church can't hurt me anymore. Enemies can't hurt me anymore. You can't disturb me anymore. You can't take my peace anymore. I've got something real. There's a place that I've entered into. And I tell you tonight, I've seen, so, and, and this is why I'm so excited to bring this here, guys. I'm bringing something to you that will be life to you, I promise you, if you will believe it. But it's got to be faith. It's, if it's an exercise in your life, you will not know it. It's got to be faith in your life. And this psalm, Psalm 27, has been so powerful for me. Whom shall I be afraid of? What shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Though a host shall come against me, and I'm paraphrasing it, though a host shall come against me, I will not be afraid. Though an army shall come up against me, of this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing have I sought after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to inquire in his temple, to look upon his beauty, to gaze at God. I want to be with It's the only thing I want in life. And if there's anything else you want in life, that is where the enemy is going to trip you up. If your relationship with God is only on the basis of God heal me, then the enemy is going to trip you up. If, the, if your relationship with God is based upon God avenge me, you're, you're going to be tripped up by the enemy. If you're desiring God to have revenge or vengeance upon somebody that hurt you, that is where the enemy is going to trip you up. You can't enter the place of rest that God wants to give you if you've got bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart or you're desiring to use God as a means to your end. One thing have I desired of you. Now this is David and it's true of David. And I'm going to give you an example of how true this is because David is just this shepherd. He's a teenager and he's tending the sheep and he's communing with God and he has this wonderful worship. He's writing his songs and he's singing to the Lord. And he's just got this life. It's just stressless, and he's just taking care of these sheep. And every now and again, he has to fight a bear or a, or a lion away. You know, big deal. God's do, doing that for him too. And then all of a sudden, David is promoted to king of Israel. 
And then David gets into this horrible conflict with King Saul who's full of jealousy and rage. And all Saul wants to do is kill David. But David has been promised the throne of Israel. And Jonathan, Saul's son, recognizes that David's been anointed to be the king of Israel. And Saul has this demonic tirade, doesn't he? He's demonic. He rebels so much against the Lord because he wanted to keep his throne that he lost his relationship with God and he began to consult witches. And he had communion with the dead so he could get advice about his future. This man lost everything in an attempt to keep what he thought mattered most to him and that was his throne. And David watched God take that man off of his throne and that man eventually lost everything. He lost his throne and he lost his God. And David becomes king of Israel. He's not a great man. He's, he's got problems in his family. He's got incest going on in his home. He's got rape in his family. He's got children that are hating each other. He's got all these problems in his home. He's got problems himself. He's got disease in his body from relationships that he's had with other women. He's got all these things that are going on in his life. But he's the worshiper of God and he's the man after God's own heart. He's a man of repentance and he's a man of sincere desire after God. And Solomon, his son, rises up in a revolt because his daddy, David, did not handle the family the way it should have been handled. So Absalom rises up to take over the throne of David and he conspires and he gets a group of people throughout Israel. You make me your king and I'll listen to you. You make me your king and my father doesn't care about you. But I care about you and I will help you. And David hears all of this. And David's so powerful and he's so mighty. He could raise up his army and he could fight. But no, I'm not going to do that. I watched a man who had a throne try to preserve his throne and keep it and he lost his God. I'll give this throne up in a second, but don't take God from me. He packs his family up and he marches out of Jerusalem and the priests come following behind David with the Ark of the Covenant. And David says to the priest, what are you doing? How dare you bring the presence of God out of Jerusalem? If God wants me to be king, he'll put me back as king. That is not what I'm pursuing. I'm going to my high place where I used to worship God. That's where I'm going. There's one thing I want, one thing I desire. I want to dwell in the presence of God and I want to look upon his beauty. And David meant that. And so if you read this in Psalm 27, that verse, I think it's verse 4. It sounds a little bit out of place. You know, this one thing I desire. Because in verse 3, he's talking about an enemy host that's camping around him. And his heart failing, or my heart will not fail for fear. Even if war rises up against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. What's that got to do with war? What's that got to do with a host coming up against you? This, this desire of worship. And you'll see it. Verse 4, he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, verse 3, hosts and armies gathered around him, and he knows because verse 4 is my heart's desire. I know in the time of trouble... 
God will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, and he shall set me upon a rock. Listen to that, people. Oh, I beg you. I beg you to listen to the plea and the heart cry of God as he revealed something to David and also to Moses that he wants to reveal to us. Now, everything is Jesus. Everything in regards to safety and peace is Jesus Christ. Everything is that. But guys, in this passage, there are three places that you enter into. Three places that you enter into. And I, am, I, I submit to you tonight that very few Christians have entered the third place. It's not automatic. It doesn't happen just because God says it's there. And whosoever will can come because the whosoever's don't always come. And I'm not talking about salvation from hell. I'm talking about even us as Christians and God's children entering into this place. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. There are three places. And David says this, I know in the time of trouble, in his pavilion, in his chamber, he will put me in his secret place. He will hide me there. There's three places. The pavilion is the temple of God. That's what the word pavilion means, God's temple. And in the temple is a chamber in the pavilion. There's a temple, a chamber, and that word chamber means God's bedchamber. It is the place of intimacy. It is the place that is exclusive for the lover, the worshiper in his God. And David is telling us, guys, when trouble comes, in God's temple is a bedchamber. And you have to have intimacy with God to come into this bedchamber. And in the bedchamber, there's a hiding place. And when trouble comes, God puts me into that hiding place. And he goes and he fights my battles. And in that hiding place, you know what I do? I sing and I joy in my God. That's what I'm doing down there in that hiding place. I don't have to fight anymore. You can't hurt me. You can't touch me. You can't disturb me. Because I'm in a hiding place. And if it gets to me, it's because my father wanted it to. Because he wants to do something in my life to make me more like Christ. So I don't fear it anymore. I'm not troubled by it anymore. And I wish I would have known this 30 years ago. I wish I would have known this 50 years ago. Of this hiding place and how simple it is and how beautiful it is to get into it. Which I'm going to explain that in detail tomorrow night. And I promise you don't want to miss that. But I'll tell you this. The entrance is intimacy and faith with God. And faith is the thing that turns the key. But praise is what pushes the door of the secret place open. Faith turns it and praise kicks the door in. And you go in, and I'll tell you, people, there is a hiding place. And everybody's not equal here. Everybody doesn't understand this place. But let me tell you about the hiding place. The hiding place is not for the high and mighty. The hiding place is not for those that are intellectually strong in the Bible and intellectually strong in religion. 
The hiding place is not for those that feel like they have a right to it or they deserve it or they've earned it because I've been in church for a particular amount of time or I tithe or I fast or I pray. No, the hiding place is for desperate men and women of God who have absolutely no hope for themselves. And my only hope is, God, would you hide me? And God hides you and he puts you in. But how do you get in there? How do you ask of God? How does this happen in your life? In Psalm 91, just to see this, it's there. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. My friends, there is a secret place. There is a secret place. And if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And it is there in that secret place that you're saying to the Lord. And that's what David's doing while he's in that secret place and trouble's all around him. And he's singing and enjoying in the Lord. You know what he's saying? He said, the Lord, he is my refuge. He's praising, y'all. He's praising. He's not in an altar weeping and moaning and begging and crying and pity. He's praising. And, and there's a time to be in altars weeping and mourning and, 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 and suffering and agony. With There's a time for that, but there's a time for praise. And David says in that secret place, I praise him. God, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. He will deliver me. Verse 3, he will cover me. Verse 4, you shall not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid there. I'm not afraid there. And he says in verse 9, because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, and the most high, your habitation. Now this, if you will, if you will get into this hiding place, listen, no evil shall befall you. Come on, Christian. How many of you say evil has befallen you? How many of you wake up on a, on a Monday morning saying, I wonder what plan the devil has for me today? How many of us expect the badness of the devil more than the goodness of God? It's because we're not in that hiding place. We expect evil to come. We expect it to come against us. We expect it to have its way with us. But all oh, no, there is a hiding place, a secret place of the Most High. And when you dwell there, no evil will befall you, neither any plague come near your dwelling. He will give his angels charge over you. They will keep you. They will bear you up. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon. You'll trample under your feet. Why? Because God has set his love upon me. I'm in the bedchamber of God. This is worship. I'm in the bedchamber of God and he set his love upon me and God says, I will deliver him and I will set him up on high. He will call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him and with long life will I satisfy him. Oh, beloved, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. But the majority of Christians today are depressed. And the majority of Christians today are suffering in agony and travail and confusion at the hand of the enemy. And though we can quote the text and we can give the Bible studies about victory, very few Christians are rising up with the victory. Why? Because it's only in the presence of God. Nothing can replace God's presence for you. Nothing. You may not have an army of a church around you, but you've got the army of God's presence with you if you're in that presence. But it doesn't mean a lot to people. God's presence doesn't mean a lot to Christians. That's why God has engineered an encounter for you today with him. And we totally missed it. We totally missed it. 
And it's not because God's grace isn't there for us, but we haven't taken advantage of his grace to respond in faith to God for what he, one thing have I desired of the Lord, one thing have I sought after. Now I say this because I believe any virtue that is good is a miracle of the grace of God in our lives. There's absolutely nothing good with us. And there's no sense in trying to find something good. Are you pleased with this? Are you pleased with No, I'm only pleased with my son. I'm not pleased with anything about you. Only my son and what you believe he will do in your life. That's all I'm pleased with. So there's nothing good in us. But I have fought what seems like the hordes and the armadas of hell against my life. In Psalm 27, it was what God brought me to because that was what he used to save my life. Even when your father or your mother forsake you, I will take you up. And when you said to seek my face, my heart said, God, your face I will seek. And I didn't want to live I prayed to die. I know depression with the best of them. I know misery with the best of them. I know what it is to want to quit. I know what it is to want to give up. I don't have to play the game anymore. I can tell you. I was hit, people. I was hit hard. It made me want to die. And if it weren't for this hiding place, I'd want to die now. But I'm not afraid anymore. And it can't touch me anymore. I gave my church up. Because it was never mine to give up. But I gave it up. I gave the pulpit up. I gave my reputation up. I gave 30 years of ministry up. I gave it all up because God said, you hide in here and you do not do one thing to defend yourself. Give me your church or give me the church. Give me the pulpit. Give me the ministry. Give me your reputation because I'm about to allow hell to unleash itself upon you. And God gave me three years to find this hiding place. And tomorrow I'll go into detail more about how I found it in the grace of God. But I can tell you, faith turns the key and praise pushes the door open. And in 2017, when my closest people in my life sought to assassinate me, destroy our marriage... Take our children from us and wreck our church. When they did everything they could do on a Monday, and I spent the rest of that week hiding in this place, joying and singing in God. He woke me up on a Sunday morning at 4 or 3.40 in the morning, maybe 4.30 in the morning. I don't remember times, but it was early. 
And I woke up crying and I woke up in a prayer. I had been praying while I was sleeping. And I just know it was the Holy Ghost helping me to pray in my infirmity. And he woke me up praying. And I was not wanting to wake up that day. And God woke me up and laying on that bed, God asked me one question. What do you want to see today? And I believe with all of my might that what God gave me was a blank check. I could have asked him for anything. But what came out of my heart and out of my spirit, out of a dead sleep, woke up by prayer. And the Lord saying, what do you want to see today? I said, God, I want to see you. That's all I want. I don't care who's there. I don't care if anybody's there. I don't care what I get to do. I just want to see you. And I'm telling you, he came into that church that day. And I could never imagine how he has lifted us in the last two years to a place I would have never dreamed. God, how could we ever get there? How could we ever get there in our life? How could we ever get there as a church? How could we ever do it? But the Lord fought my battles. And God told me this. And there was a lady here. I was just, Tammy called me. She'd gotten permission from Jared. And she called me months ago and she had a word for me. And it was the word that God had given me the night before. Because it was a little bit more detailed, but what she told me was what God told me the night before. And God said, if you live here, whoever touches you is messing with Christ in you. I have set my love upon you. Not because I'm worthy of it, not because I deserve it, and certainly not because I've earned it. I'm the biggest baby in the family. I'm the most emotional and drama-driven in the family. Prone to depression, prone to misery, prone to failure, prone to everything. But he saved my life. And there's a lot of people... Some of you tonight, you're hurting, you're suffering, you're wondering where God is. He's wondering where you are. I've given you a place to hide. Where are you? He's wondering where you are. So many Christians today look like victims. They smell like smoke. They look like they've been burned. But we're not supposed to. We're the victors. But it comes from the presence of God. Now listen. If all of this was automatic, why would the Holy Spirit have to write Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3? When Paul says to the church that has been saved and your faith is spread abroad everywhere and I know of your love for the saints, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that you might know the hope of his calling and the glorious power of his might, the riches of his inheritance in your life, the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. And in chapter 3 he says, I don't stop falling on my knees and praying that God might be able to give you a revelation in your inner man 
of the hope and the indwelling of Jesus Christ in your hearts as Christians and to know the love of God that knows no. Why would the Holy Ghost pray that for Christians if it's automatic? Why would the Apostle Paul say in Philippians chapter 3 that I might know him? Everything else I consider is dung to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can have it. I don't even want the world. You can have it, but give me Christ. This man had Christ. He had Jesus. But what is he pursuing so diligently with all of his life? The presence of God. The presence of God is the difference. The presence of God in our life. For years, God was stripping me. For years, he was taking me down. For years, he was dealing with my pride and my prejudice and my jealousy and everything else and my competition that was in my life and my, uh, everything that you could imagine he was dealing with me about it. And I'm not free of it all. He's still dealing with me because just when I think I've gotten good with it, he lets me know how bad I am with it. So discouraged after a conference we had in our church. You know how the devil hits you like that? I, I, I ran to my hiding place. We were at a men's retreat, and I was going to teach the men's retreat that week. And I was, just, I was just so down. I was just being buffeted and hit. And I just ran to that secret place, and I tucked in there with God. And I said, Lord, I'm just so down and I'm so discouraged. And God, I'm suffering from so much today. God said to me, you stink of pride. You stink of it. But you're welcome here. If you will admit it and give it to me, you are welcome here. I said, God, please take it. I said, what do you want me to do? I want you to be nobody. I want you to be nothing. You know what I want you to do? I want you to serve everybody. You can do that. And he humbled me. And he delivered me. He delivered me from me. And some of us need to be delivered from us. And it's in the hiding place that it happens. So I say this to you that God's presence is the difference. But you got to know how to ask. So if you have a financial problem in your life, how do you ask God to bless you financially? And immediately people tend to think like you're talking to a human. So you just say, well, I'm going to go ask Daddy for a better job. I'm going to go ask Daddy for money. I'm going to go ask Daddy to help pay a bill off. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ask. No, how do you ask God to bless you financially? You give. And, and how do you ask God for souls? You want, you want to fill your church up. How do you ask God for souls? You die. You sacrifice yourself. But churches aren't willing to do that yet. I'm pursuing my money. I'm pursuing my ball games. I'm pursuing that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for souls. I can't die yet. One day, God, one day when I retire and I've got nothing to do, I'll die for you. And so we wonder, where's the harvest? Where are the souls? Where is that? How, how do you ask? How do you, how do you touch him? How, how do you say you want to touch God? I want to touch God. I want to, I want to affect him. I want to be with him. I want to get his attention. How do you touch him? He is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. You bring your weakness to him. Touches him every time. You bring your sickness to him. Touches him every time. He's got the most tender heart you will ever know in your life. 
touches him every time. And how do you get his presence? Do you just say, oh God, would you give us your presence? Or maybe we start and we sing some songs and God, would you give us? No, you praise him. You thank him. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. If you want the presence of God, then praise him. Declare things to him. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, practice. What do you mean practice? I mean open up the Bible and read Revelation 5 and see what they're saying around the throne of God and come to church and repeat it. And if you have to, open up a psalm. Like some people have to open up a hymn book or read, read their iPads when they're playing music because they don't remember all the words. And open a psalm up and come stand in the altar and say, Oh my God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You spread the heavens like you spread curtains. Oh God, the light was created by you. The animals were created by you. God, you know my number. You're precious. I'm precious in your sight. You just read it and you praise him. But it's, an, it's faith. It's not an exercise, it's faith, and you do that, and the presence of God comes. And what happens when the presence of God comes? People push into God, and there's healings, and there's deliverances, and there's miracles in the presence of God. So I want to say this, and I've, I've got to bring this to a, a close tonight. And I pray you'll come tomorrow for more, because I want to take you deeper with this. The presence of God is the difference. When Moses was young, he came to understand that he was Jewish. And he understood from his mother that there would be a deliverer who was raised up about the time he was born who would deliver Israel from Egyptian bondage, and he believed it was him. And as he became a young man, he considered the wealth of Egypt to be less than the reproach of Christ. And he rejected the fame and the fortune and the glory and the authority of an Egyptian leader to suffer with the people of God. But he realized it's not going to happen the way I thought it was going to happen. And he fled. But he sold out for God. And then one day, 40 years later, he's in the desert and he sees a bush burning. And this is in Exodus 3 and 4. And you can read this later. But he sees a bush burning while he's tending to the flock of Jethro. And when he sees the bush burning, he stops. And he goes to it. And the Bible says, when the Lord saw that he saw and drew near, then God spoke to him. And my friend, God had an encounter with you today. He set a bush on fire, and you didn't see it. You were too busy with ministry. You were too busy with your Sunday school lesson. You were too busy with your worship. You were too busy with your business. You were too busy with your problems. You were too busy with so many other things that you didn't have the time to notice this event that God designed for you and God would have spoken. And of all the things that you could read about Moses, was this moment 
in the presence of God at that burning bush, was that not the defining moment of Moses' life? Was it not in that presence that everything for Moses changed? And God said to Moses, I'm going to do something in your life so the whole world will know you have been with me. Like Moses, a lot of Christians, some of you here, have considered the cost of becoming a Christian. And you have considered giving your life to Jesus Christ and becoming His to be more valuable than to serve this world or its riches. And you're a Christian. And like Moses... For 80 years of his life, nobody knows who you are. You're separated. You believe in Jesus. And you're not a part of the world, though you're in it. But there's no profound effect on your life. There's nothing really great going on with it. But you want it to be. And the answer is his presence. And he calls you into his presence. And if you would come and have an encounter and live in this presence of God, your whole world would change. Your church would change. Your family would change. Your life would change. Because you would enter into a place that all of his children are invited to come to. But some of us are just too busy to be intimate. And we don't know his bedchamber. And we don't know his hiding place. That he wants to speak to us there. You know what Zephaniah said? Zephaniah said, that's where the Lord sings songs of deliverance over me. Have you ever heard God sing over you? He does. He, I mean, literally does. Have you ever heard him sing over you? It's the most amazing thing you'll ever know. He held me. He held me and he sang over me. He saved my life. And guys, you're much better than me. It's not because of worth. It's because of desperation. Desperation. I need him. And there's a lot of people who are afraid and fearful and depressed and miserable, living in misery and living in defeat and having the expectation of hell to win against their life again. You need to come to the hiding place. In faith, you need to come, and in praise, you need to open the door. And God will usher you into his presence, and he'll speak to you, and he will change you and everything you do now in this world will be marked by this. You've been with God. And that's Acts chapter 4. They took notice of them. They've been with Jesus. We can't do anything with them. There's a power in them. They've been with Jesus. The presence of God is the difference. I can't make you want it. But I can tell you this. It's real. And it's there for you. And God's waiting for you. One of the greatest gifts of grace is repentance. It's one of the greatest gifts of grace. 
You go to the law and tell it you're sorry. See what it says to you. Death. But you go to grace and say, God, forgive me. He says, forgiven. And if you've missed that hiding place, it's a throne of grace where you will find grace and mercy to help you in your time of need if you will come. The invitation's extended in Hebrews 4. But still, so many of my children don't come. And I told the Lord, or I surrendered to the Lord, if you'll let me, I'll tell as many people as I can about this hiding place because you saved my life. And I have a vision and I have a picture of this church that if you could get an idea of that choir and in faith, not exercise, if you could become that choir while they're a choir singing, you're a choir praising. And the presence of God comes enthroned on that praise. And in His presence is healing and joy and life and gladness. You would never dream what God would do in a moment's time. A moment's time. You've seen us, Jared. You've seen what God's done. It's supernatural what God's done in our life and in our church. I didn't do nothing but hide. That's all I did. Stand with me. Russell, would you come, please? Or, or Dylan, whichever. I want to ask you to come and praise. I want to ask you to come and praise. And if you don't know what to say, open your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. And just read what they're saying around the throne of God and of the Lamb. I just want you to come praise. I want you to come and give thanks to the Lord. Come on, just draw in here right now. Don't be ashamed. We're just a family. Don't be ashamed. Don't walk on eggshells. Don't be afraid. Don't we need... You know what the greatest thing we can do? If the presence of God is the difference, what is the greatest thing we can do when we go to church but usher in the presence of God? Isn't that the greatest thing we could do?